Good evening, good evening, good night, some parts of the world. Welcome to another KG Fifth Wood Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you? Doing all right. Uh, taking my last week of vacation break, whatever, before football begins a week from tomorrow. Doc, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm busy. I don't know if I want to call this a break. Uh, I'm just getting started. I don't know which way is up. Big birthday. Shout out to my son. He's three, officially three today. So he had a big birthday uh, this morning. I'm doing the actual party tomorrow before I leave to London. Excuse me. Before you, before you leave, where? Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. That ain't just fly over that. That didn't just fly over now. You going off to Wafford for what? London. I presented a research sports and society um, showing a film uh, that uh, Spike Lee put together, you recall, on Howard's University soccer team called Redemption Song about the team in the 1970s. I've done some previous research on it. But this one we're going to do, um, show the film, and throughout the film we're going to make the connection between diversity and uh, sport and, and talk about some issues of inclusion uh, using the film as a, a catalyst to get that done, uh, looking at the connection between politics uh, as well as sports. Are you so on a panel? Together on, no, it's the actual 45-minute, uh, the way this one is set up, this is 45-minute uh, presentation, so we act, they call it like a workshop um, component of it. So I put it together with the interim dean of the Barbara Jordan Nickelodeon School of Public Affairs. And so credit to him for making this happen and uh, finding the funds to get us over to London to make this presentation. I actually fly back into Birmingham for the Sweat Media Day, which I'm sure we'll talk quite a bit more <laughs> yeah. about the yeah. 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 Day coming up. Uh, but I think in a lot of ways, one thing I want to do is kind of jump off uh, is this uh, release uh, coming out of the Big Ten? I think the Detroit Press talked about um, the Big Ten looking like they're about ready to strike a mega deal. Uh, you may have or may not heard about that. I haven't heard, so please enlighten me. Yes, uh, Big Ten, you know, they're in negotiating. Uh, their contract uh, in regards to uh, both with the Big Ten, I mean with ESPN, as well as uh, Fox, and then obviously the CBS part of the deal uh, is, is continuing to move forward. And so they're talking about a billion-dollar deal, which will be fascinating, but this is on the heels of the fact that there is a report coming out of the Jackson newspaper there, The Advocate, uh, where the three sweat schools are among the poorest Division I uh, institutions in regards to athletics when you look at revenues. So it's, it's just amazing to me how one side is really getting rich and suddenly the other side is not so much. So the Big Ten is looking at getting a $2.64 billion. That's what it'd be. I want to make sure people can appreciate that. Yes, $2.64 billion new 
television deal. Uh, that is $440 million annually over the next six years. Let me say that again, because you all... Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 say it again. The number's kind of confusing. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with that. You know, it, it is what it is. No, it certainly is what it is, and I'll repeat it for our listeners, because I'm sure they, if they're not like, wow, I'm not sure... Who is? But yeah, certainly Big Ten is getting it done. But Big Ten getting $2.64 billion in new television deals. This was reported again by the Detroit Free Press. So KG can have some appreciation when we throw in Detroit in a lot of ways. $440 million annually. Um, the deal's biggest players are Fox, which came to its agreement with the Big Ten in April, as well as ESPN. Some of the robbery games, including the annual Michigan-Ohio State football game, likely will move to Fox. Uh, Fox will have broadcast rights to the football championship game each year, and the networks will alternate uh, picks for which weeks they get their first choice of football broadcast with Fox selecting the first. Uh, give me a little more about this. Again, uh, the Big Ten's media windfall over the next year period, totaling $2.64 billion dollars. Uh, gives the Big Ten the opportunity to come out of this contract in 2023, which is actually before the other schools come out of their contract. So they have the ability to just do some more damage if you're looking at this regards to the financial numbers. And while a lot of people are saying these ESPN and Sport Networks are hearing you, it sounds like they're all in, at least on the college networks. Now ESPN has said that they're moving full steam ahead with their eight. ACC network deal, and obviously you see this. You've heard us talk about the American. So this is going to be interesting as it continues to move forward. Let me give you a couple of other final notes. Obviously the quote by uh, Big Ten Commissioner Jim Delaney. But Delaney, the deal is a clear win, as he said. That seems like a quote brainer. Uh, quote, not only did the conference pick up a significant increase in the down market, but the relatively short length of the deal means Big Ten will be the first major College conference to renegotiate a new deal and what it hopes will be a more robust marketplace. End quote. Wow. So they mm. believe that they can get bigger than that. So according to SBJ, that's the Sport Business Journal, our students in the Sport Management Program actually are required to get that. Just want to throw that in as a side note. Fox and ESPN will broadcast roughly 25 football games and 50 games each season in terms of basketball. According to documents obtained by the Lafayette Journal of Curry in 2014, Big Ten schools received $27 million per year from their last rights deal, a figure that will rise to $35.5 million in 2016. So when they open up the season, doing really well with $35 million, uh, you literally can put uh, several SGS conferences together. We act swag, and their total revenues we can come up to $35.5 million. Um, so those are some ways to kind of keep that doc, in perspective. What doc, was uh, doc, doc, number this year? Doc, let me let me let me let me toss it. I was like one point two and change. Doc, that that news is from last year. Oh, was it? Yeah, that's from last yeah, year. Yeah, that is twenty fifteen. That is twenty fifteen. My fault. I thought I was uh, getting some news I was getting all excited. But what really threw us off, threw me off on this was still the fact is that um, the SWAC 
uh, Advocate Journal was really upsetting a lot of swag people when they were looking at these numbers and uh, obviously the annual report from um, USA Today talking about the numbers going on and going to the SWAC Mississippi schools. That's Mississippi Valley State as well as Jackson State and Alcorn having some of the lowest budgets, not just in the SWAC, but all across Division One sports. And what, what, if anything, can be done to improve that situation for SWAC schools and if you gentlemen will allow me to toot my own horn, um, because Willis Wilson mentions a little bit in the interview he did with me Sunday, you know, a member of the Southland Conference, Southland Conference at AM Corpus Christi, that that conference is similar to uh, Texas Southern Men's Basketball. A lot of the teams in that conference play scheduled check games to help sustain or supplement their athletic budget. So what, if anything, can the smaller schools do to uh, improve their finances? They're going to have to find a way to be, one, I think they really need to start listening to the fans in a lot of ways. Uh, you're going to have to find a way to really increase the interest of your fan base and so the fan base can support not just in terms of butts in the seats, but also financially. But I think you're asking these fans to support you, but you're not giving the fans what they want. And I'll give the example of this. is My understanding, this past week or so, you had the athletic director, uh, Hicks, uh, from Alabama A&M, um, dealing with his alumni group at A&M as they were trying to roll out some information about the football season, get people excited. But a lot of people, the fans, were quite frustrated, and even boosters frustrated with the number of money games that were put on Alabama and and Bulldogs football schedule. And it got so frustrating for both parties that questions were basically repeated and stated in different ways. My understanding the AD literally was frustrated and left uh, the facility uh, after kind of rambling on about uh, most points not thinking he was treated fairly. So that gives you another example and similar you hear a lot of the fans in Mississippi, Jackson State, frustrating about their alignment in the SWAC. So some things are starting to come to the top and it's going to be very interesting to see how long uh, can this platform continue because I think you're getting the separation from the ADs of what they believe is their responsibility coming from the president and what the alumni believe their responsibilities, and they're not coexisting. So you have some major problems uh, in that area that I think will be interesting to follow. Well, Doc, let me ask this question, man, because this, you know, this has always been a source of contention with pretty much everybody in the uh, that's not a part of the, uh, the Power Five, including the uh, Conference USA and the Americans. How does the alumni build up their base and the alumni brand and become what they need to be to support at least football and basketball because those are uh, those are the revenue sports. How do they get into a uh, point, not so much to influence the president or the AD, but figure out a way to 
um, bring in money from their uh, uh, connections and support football and basketball and become the brand outside of the school. I think that's uh, actually an excellent and very important question. And I'm going to go back to any really good business organization. You have to have the culture that finds a way to bring everybody that are that would be considered stakeholders to the table. Everybody has to feel they truly have a voice in the organization. And once people have the, the voice in the organization and you put individuals in leadership roles, those leaders need to be very uh, judicial in regards to how they put people and align these leaders and people with the roles and tasks that they're responsible in doing. And so when you do that, then you get everybody moving in a direction and everybody will starts to come on board and you can get a lot done more than you ever could think. I think one of the problems you have with the swag, and I don't think it's just the swag, but institutions that do not have the financial windfall that we talked about in terms of the Big Ten, obviously that's last year, what we've seen with the ACC and the Big Ten, I mean SEC more recently, is you have a lot of moving parts, but in most uh, components you see those parts moving in the same direction. Everybody has, if you would, the same type of mentality of where they basically see things going. And if they have questions, they find a way to get down, debate those questions, put everything on the table. But once they decide to move into consensus, pretty much everybody's on the board and you will see uh, not too many people speak against it, generally speaking. You don't see that in other conferences that are not having this windfall of money. You see a lot of people being frustrated, a lot of people questioning leaders. Uh, Obviously, this seems to be even more so in the swack at this point, and I think that's a major problem you have. And I believe you're starting to see the frustrating frustration of fans that have not been listened to in a long time, and they're becoming more educated. There's more avenues for them to get information. The podcast we're doing here, the websites out there that you see, them pushing and requiring that the ADs provide annual information updates, radio shows that I do and that are some other ones that are out there. People are asking these tough questions. We had the, the time that, uh, that we did the podcast and we talked about the cancellation of the SWAC championship game and how many people have questions on that and how many people are digging to try to find out more information. That actually has been a high point, and it will go into another high point when we get to the SWAC media day next week you basically had discussions on that some form of fashion since the announcement. That was literally over two and a half weeks ago. So you have to find a way to get everybody on the same page. And I think that's the major problem that you have is not enough people on the same page. And to further expound on what Doc has referenced about the Mississippi SWAC schools or little info that I pulled up thanks to HBCUsports.com. Um, Jackson State had the seventh. This is just now, Woodley. If you, in case you hadn't heard about this, this is how these three schools rank within the SWAC. Jackson State ranks seventh in the SWAC with a total operating budget of seven point six million dollars. 
Alcorn is ninth with $6.75 million. And then dead last is Valley, Mississippi Valley State at $4.29 million. That's operating budget. Okay, now, right. now you contrast that with, if you referenced, I think a podcast or two ago about um, the Texas schools, A&M leads the way in terms of revenues, and U of H had a had a boost thanks to their sugar. There was a Peach Bowl win over Florida State. U of H expenses was fifty two million dollars. Their revenues was twenty six point three million dollars. So that's U of H. Now you, I just said Valley four point two nine million dollars compared to U of H. That's light years away, and yet U of H is lapped by A&M with a revenues of $187 million. Excuse me, Texas is $187 million and A&M $194 million. So you got, you're talking about A&M revenues, almost $200 million. That's almost 50 times Valley's operating budget. It's truly a case of have and have not. Uh, it's without a doubt, as you talk about that. I mean, if you want to compare this, you talked about it in the Slack, which I think is one way to look at it and extremely important. But overall, there are 347 colleges operating at the Division One level. Uh, this past Thursday, USA Today does pretty much their annual report on athletic budgets, and it's very intriguing when they do it because you can cut those reports up and look at it in so many different ways. Overall revenue, as you talked about, Texas A&M and Texas University of Texas, you're going to look at it in terms of conference average and then average the conferences and things of that nature. But uh, of the 347 schools, Mississippi Valley State at 4.29 was dead last. They were 347. Jackson State, which is uh, seven in the SWAC, was actually 337 of the 347. Seven schools in Alcorn State ranked 341 of the 347 schools. So it is just amazing uh, just how different much the money is. And we look at this in the swag because we uh, talk about sports. But in a lot of ways, this is directly related in terms of overall subsidies from the respective states of how these HBCUs are provided their legislative revenues for the overall operation of HBCUs. And these institutions have done a tremendous job of not just providing uh, great sports heroes that we, many of us to come to cherish at this professional level for many years back, but also they have done a tremendous job of educating people of color and now all type of people in regards to have access to the institution. So if you continue to fund higher education in general around this country more, yet uh, HBCUs, it's going to be extremely intriguing for me, unfortunately. What does that mean for the education population overall? It's, not, it's all about the money, but in the, in the gap, nobody has a, and I mean nobody, has an answer to closing the gap. That's long trying to bridge it. So where do we go from here, though? That's 
that's the billion dollar question. And uh, there are a lot of people trying to figure out what direction people should go. Um, I was quoted in an article that talked about whether HBCU should come together and form a paid league basketball and just that side. You have other people, obviously, they're picking at the Power 5 schools in regards to them uh, paying players. You still have the issue with the uh, NLI, names, images, and likeness. You know, where is that going to come apart? I'm still sure there's still some people looking at whether uh, these sporting organizations, namely football and basketball teams, should form unions. Uh, you had an article that came out, uh, or a quote that came out in regards to Buffalo Wild Receiver um, that was talking about that they need to get paid more because they started looking at the differences between um, basketball revenues associated with the players and football, who's getting a larger percentage of the, the overall pot, you know, $12 billion for basketball. For football, uh, what is it? Five billion dollars for basketball. See, that's, that's, get that's, a lot more that's, that's, a, that's just a young man who doesn't know, understand the finances of the sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I the NFL, the NFL has what? 53 man roster, NBA has 15. So you got more slices of the pie in the NFL per team than you do in the NBA. So clearly, there's yeah, a, I agree with that, but I know, think I think the biggest part is what percentage of that. I think it's the other question you think. What is the percentage of money that's coming from that pot going to the players? So I think there's a smaller percentage um, that is going to the players. So when you look at that, you're talking about all over, overall money. I do agree. And it's going to be obvious that players in general in football, because there's more, quote-unquote, miles of feed, that the subsequent contracts of individual players are going to be less likely as big as individual contracts with basketball. I think you're right on point on that. And I think the succinct question that a lot of people are looking at is, to be quite frank, basketball players, and we said this about Major League Baseball, have done a better job with their unions in regards to the overall split of the pot of money that goes to players versus how much goes to uh, the league and the owners and the NFL, uh, depending on what side of this you look at, has done a better job of making sure that the ownership gets a larger share of that pot of money. And so, some people can look at the sport of professional sport of basketball, terms of NBA, uh, baseball, obviously, professionally in the Major League Baseball, that there's a better partnership between the two groups. They believe that both need to be together uh, to put this together. That is not taking place in football. Cinema, let me get your your thoughts on this. We're talking unions, finances. Interesting twist has happened during these last few days of NBA free agency and and the moratorium ended Thursday. So teams officially announced signings of their free agents. But in the case of Steph Curry, a few days ago, agreed agreed at the time to a deal, a five-year, $201 million contract to stay with the Warriors. That's $40 million per season. Clearly, that was a lot of money. LeBron talked to, was tweeted, I had a tweet about uh, referencing, I think, a journalist 
questioning it or questioning how much, you know, Steph is getting or, or this, that, and the other. And LeBron's comments were about Steph is probably, is probably worth more money because at the time when I think Mr. Laker bought the Warriors, the Warriors were mm-hmm. worth, I'm not sure of the, of the exact number, let's say $400 million, and they're not worth $2 billion. So yeah. Steph... That was pretty close to where it was, because it was right under uh, $500 million because it increased to so billion-dollar who, who zoom in who in terms of value to the franchise? Steph has had a, right. a definite impact on the rising valuation of the Warriors franchise. So $40 million per is a drop in a bucket compared to $2 billion. But my thing is this. Will LeBron have the same outlook if and when he becomes an, an NBA owner? Yeah. No. I, I, that's a good point. I mean, what's the value of that? I mean, I think you can ask that in a lot of ways with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, you know, was very open with his frustration with the Chicago management in regards to who won those championships and who was responsible and who should have got paid and why later in his career he wanted to make sure that he was making top dollar uh, in regards to that. But you know, obviously don't hear much of him saying anything as a owner now. But I think in those two positions, uh, rightfully so, that they push back in regards to each other. But I think an interesting point that LeBron James made is the fact that it's not so much in regards to the salary cap overall that was recently put in basketball, in a lot of ways copying what NFL did, but you also have in the NBA the fact that there's a a cap on what you can provide a player in terms of their salary, which is unlike in football. You can play pretty much uh, a football player, whatever. Now, you can, you have, your overall 53-man roster, as you talked about, has to be over under a certain cap, but not in regards to individual players. Sure, like a quarterback can I think, you know, make $40 million or whatever and rest the team. The other 52 players have to split up the, the remaining $60 million. You exactly. Know? So, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I think in a lot of ways, that's why you get the problem in the NBA, which is frustrating some people even more so, is that you have, like you said, LeBron and other players of the ilk making significant contracts, but you have some of what many people would call just role players or maybe even all-star players they're getting significant contracts because a lot of clubs one have to spend the money and get to a minimum salary that was put in place. But also, if you have a cap for what you're going to play your maximum player, that means other players that may not uh, should have a salary cap. I mean, a salary that reaches a certain amount often get paid overpaid because you're underpaying the top player. True. And what are your thoughts, both of you guys? What's your thoughts on this, on Kevin Durant and other players like uh, even Chris Paul, uh, some star players, some superstar, megastar players take less money than they could probably get in the open market to re-sign or sign with a team like Chris Paul. Chris Paul is president of the NBA Union, NBA Play Association. 
does it look good? Is it a good look if the president of the union is taking less than max dollar to go to a team? Now, I think that's a really excellent question when you get into those dynamics. Because that becomes challenging uh, from an individual player. It's easy to say a player should do what obviously they want to do. But when a player does that as an individual, it starts to affect other players in regards to what they are expected to do and ask for. So I think you have a very challenging question. And for one of the first times, I'm not sure if I have a good answer. Because Kevin Durant took less money to be signed with the Warriors by, you know, depending on who you talk to, five to six, seven million dollars less this season to resign, which which helped Golden State resign and keep their their team intact. But Kevin Durant is one of the elite players in the league. So is it a good look for your elite level of talent to take less money? I, I will say this. Go ahead. It, 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 well, I'm, a, I'm referencing back, a while, and this has been a while back, when uh, A-Rod made an attempt to take less money you know, in, in baseball, and the union stepped in and That's right. disavowed the, disavowed mm-hmm. the contract. So it, it, I, I guess what it all boils down to is, is how you write up your CBA and what you agree upon at the negotiation table between ownership, the league, and the players. And if you set it up that way to where, you know, if the the medium norm is set at, you know, whatever, whatever uh, uh, is set at the profit, uh, overall profit uh, of the league, inc- you know, income that come, that's coming in that year, that's right. then you, that's what you got to take. You know whether you don't, whether you want to or not. That's what the, the, the uh, that's what the contract says. I mean, well, that's what the, the the agreed upon contract with the between the union and the, and the uh, ownership and the league. Okay, so Wildcat, are and you I'm saying can't. Kevin Kevin Durant should not have taken less money? I wouldn't have. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna walk that back a little bit when I said, and I'm agree with you that no, it does not look good in terms of the league. I think one thing that we do also have to be careful with is the term of the contract, which puts a even deeper spin of on it from the fact that while he took less now, he took it for a shorter period of time, and with the expectation that money is going to continue to grow, it does put him in a place to actually get more later, uh, which is something to consider as well. Oh, and now he took, he basically signed a two-year deal with a player option the second year, so next summer he'll be a free agent again. So I, I feel certain in saying that he and his his representatives fully expect the Warriors to uh, make up for this. What do we call it? Hometown discount, shall you know? Right. Shall we say? But it's going to be interesting. So, so when does the next CBA come up for the NBA? Oh, he's talking five. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a while because yeah, now they. they Union and the players and the owners agreed to an extension. So, yeah. Exactly. It's happy times in NBA right now. Yeah, and they quietly came to uh, an agreement, which was all that both parties were happy to. It really didn't even get to the point where they were forced uh, to pick a size and negotiate. So, it's going to be a while for that to take place. 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see how these continue to play. But now you have people continuing to talk about the super teams, which I don't think is a big deal as a lot of people like to talk about it. People have interest in the league. The ratings are up, uh, and there's still a lot of interest in regards to that. And people, in some form or fashion, like to follow a team that's out front, but a lot of people like to knock off that team. And baseball, you've seen it work for years with the Yankees. Um, so I don't think it's as bad as, as many people think. I think sometimes you have to be careful copying other leagues in terms of what works for them. Obviously, the big dog in a lot of ways is the NFL. And they're doing things that works best for their model and their fan base. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for every professional league to copy exactly what they're doing because they're unique in a lot of ways, um, and those unique things tend to work for them. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. And, and just to further add to it, uh, and let it well, announce it, <clears throat> the uh, NBA agreement with the players was extended, became official, ironically, July 1st of this year, to the extension, so now it extends through the 2023 2024 season. So yeah, it's happy times not right now in the NBA with that the, the TV money kicking in from Turner Sports begin you know beginning last season. So this is the second year of the huge balloon payments. But let's talk about the Rockets signing. Like I said, we talked about the last our last podcast with the Chris Paul trade. They re-signed in a three-year deal to the four-year deal. They they signed PJ Tucker. I'm glad you that. Go ahead, go ahead. They I signed PJ Tucker, uh, free agent, who was going to show up their defense, show up their their bench rotation. They signed to a minimum rookie deal. I love his American pronunciation of his name because looking at it in print, you would not think this is how I pronounce, but his 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 name is pronounced Joe Chi. Simple Joe Chi. Seven foot one young man from China, so he's he, he's under contract now. So the Rockets, they still have a few non-guaranteed players that they can move to uh, take back some better deals in return. As we get closer to the start of the season, they made one minor announcement today, waiving a guaranteed contract of Ryan Kelly, because that money would kind of toward a salary cap. His money his money became guaranteed today. Um, if they had if they had that way, it'd be like a million and change against their cap. So to let him go. But the quote from Dal Moore is, uh, "We got eight man rotation that he put up against anybody, and Coach Antonio doesn't play beyond eight anyway." That's true. Now I got a question. Nene's contract. I didn't know because <clears throat> this was news to me. That the league has a age limit uh, that's tied into how much money you can make after you become a veteran. What is that? What What was that all about? Because the Rockets had to go back and redo the deal. So it used to be used to be the over thirty five uh, age limit contract, and then it changed to thirty seven. And with with the new CBA going into effect now, it's the over thirty eight deal. Basically, it, it's uh, if a player turns now 38, that final year of a contract agreement, 
that that contract cannot happen because they don't they don't want people and teams to skirt the issue and be funny with the money and things like that. So that's why they it was negotiated. So his three year deal went from four years to three years. Now if he's still playing and if he's you know healthy enough and another team wants to give him another contract after this, he can continue signing those t- deals. But he can't he cannot sign a four year deal a fourth year final year being he turns 38 honestly like uh, maybe a, a month or less but yeah that's mm-hmm. that's why the deal had to be renegotiated just one wow. of those strange just one of those strange like i said it's changed from 35 37 38 so it's just one of those quirks well i tell you what the ownership is finding some kind of way to hold on to their money you know with these older veterans but they show handing out a lot of it to these these youngsters. <laughs> well, you know, and and why not? JJ Reddick signed a one year deal with Philly, twenty three million dollars for one year. Yeah, and a lot of the youngsters is you know the expectation is they're going to play for a while and going to get better. So you're investing on your future. It's interesting in in the results that you're talking about how you start seeing in a lot of ways is is why the big three uh, by Ice Cube is working because you can see to some degree these players still have some games some of the players you got out there but uh, as you see in football you get to a certain age it doesn't really necessarily matter your talent your overall salary that goes against the cap uh, pushes people out the league and I I found some better information because I didn't even believe I was saying it clearly enough, but the over 30 rule basically in theory is meant to protect teams from committing to players who would unlikely see the end of that deal. So 35 year old player signed a four or five year contract and retires midway through the contract team still on the hook for that deal. You know, that, that kind of thing. So, so they front loaded the money, you know, you know how teams are. Teams get skittish with well, this dude isn't gonna make the end of his contract, so why are we gonna be unhooked for all this money? You know that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it helps you know. them. It helps them also not to make mistakes. Right. You so they're trying to lot protect lot themselves from themselves. So yeah. Exactly. So you do like PJ Tucker as a Rocket Woodley? Yep. Yeah, I certainly like that move. I like the man. We talked about uh, the, the last one of the things that I said was hold up until we get to see a couple of more deals taking place because I was questioning about the defense continuing to move forward. And now you got an answer for the defense. Oh, yeah. So you get a couple of other pieces to the table. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. You still have the fact that Melo may be moved. Obviously, one of the things he said he would go to was the Rockets. It's another piece. They can make this very intriguing, but I think they're starting to stack the chips and put themselves in a position to make things interesting, at least against the Golden State Warriors. One year. I don't think I don't think anybody necessarily believes that uh, going in, uh, but that's why you play the game in in basketball, seven game series. Can you One year. Be, the, be the first to four? One year. What? What are you trying to say? Why can't we trying to say one? One year. You you basically convinced yourself that we're gonna throw it all to the wind for one at least one year. We just gonna we're not gonna break we're gonna we're gonna bust up as much as we can, 
But we're going to get a core group of, like you said, of eight, probably ten. And we're going to roll with that. Well, ain't no ten. He ain't going to play ten come playoff time. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, one thing for sure, you got to be playing ten during the regular season because I don't think this group is going to last together over 82 games on hand. Now, I do believe they learned a few lessons from this past season and will try to give James Harden more rest and monitor his minutes more so he won't burn out during the playoffs. I agree with that. But come playoff time, Antonio's rotation is going to shrink to eight and most likely seven players. That's how he coaches in the playoffs. That's what he believes. You know, it's a days off in between games. He's, you know, that's, that's his personal opinion. I disagree with that opinion, but we'll see if it works. Able Rockets believe that they have narrowed the gap between themselves and the Warriors. We shall see. Well, one thing is for sure, they in the hunt. Oh, that's big talk they coming from the Wildcats. They in the hunt. They in the hunt. <laughs> they in the hunt. I mean, when you can, when you can draw up as much non- Marketing on your side, and the rest of it was out of everybody else's mouth, and they talking about your team doing as, as as we all get ready for football season. You done turned the corner. But who is who? Especially in this who, time. Who are you? Okay, so that, that that that's what I wanted you to say. Locally, sure, the Rockets. Oh no, listen, are in the nationally, mix. Nationally, nationally, because who? Uh, Vegas has, 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 has changed the numbers on them. Um, they are starting to get uh, uh, more sports shows around the country. They got mentioned. Who? They're, 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 because the day, uh, the day of the trade, of the Chris Paul trade, even some, maybe the very next day, the NBA media, national media, didn't even consider Chris Paul a superstar. In some of their graphics, well, I'm gonna, best, I'm gonna say best basketball duos. They didn't even have Harden and Chris Paul in the mix, and I'm like, wow. this folks, do you not understand what the Rockets have just done? And it's been just that quick. You didn't even talk about, yeah, you didn't even talk about Chris Paul and James Harden. I'm like, what are y'all paying attention to? So I'm not, I'm not convinced that the national media has acknowledged and appreciated what the Rockets have accomplished and have aligned themselves to accomplish getting Chris Paul. You know, it's the Warriors, of course. It's LeBron in the East. Hell, it was, I know what it was. It was Paul George and Russ before it was Chris Paul and James Harden. That's what the media, national media was talking about, PG and Russ. They weren't talking about Chris Paul and James Harden. Nah, I didn't hear that, folks. I, I didn't hear those people. I heard that what I heard was on the morning show. I heard a couple from uh, from some Fox, some from some ESPN, from uh, let's see, where else is uh, that I hear from some independent, uh, some folks that did do some uh, online podcasting uh, for at least um, twenty-four to forty-eight hours. I heard some folks. Early morning, uh, late night. Yeah, it's been some things I've mentioned. Yeah, we'll see what Bad those same folks say during the season. 
Because I promise you, yeah. outside of Houston, nope, it won't. It'll be the same old thing. It'll be the Warriors, be the Spurs, the Cavs, and now you got Russ and Paul George. That's what it'll be. You know, and, and then if Lonzo Ball or does whatever he does with the Lakers, you never hit. You never hear the Spurs internationally, but there they are at the end of the, end of the season. There they are winning 50-plus games and making noise that, in the playoffs. That may be true. That may be true, but during the, during the signing period and these transactions going on, didn't hear any Spurs. And you won't. Didn't hear. That's, what I, that's my point. You won't. Outside of Houston and San Antonio, the national media thinks we don't do anything except play football. Well... Apparently, they, the trade now kind of like changed that. And I'm going to stay with that because I know what I was listening to and I know who I heard it from. Tell me who you heard it from because some of the same ESPN announcers didn't say squat. Once the Paul uh, George deal happened, it was Paul George and, and Russell Westbrook t- teaming up, forming the best combination in the NBA outside of Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant. Now, but what they didn't mention, I just, uh, and I knew I wasn't going to get this. I wasn't going to get a best combination of one-two duo going in next season. But what I heard was it, it changed the dynamic of what of what it had been. And the transitioning would be uh, on a day-to-day, game, uh, a week-to-week situation. And it was on Fox. Um uh, Godley, Broussard, uh, who else did I hear from? Uh, Kyle Heard on ESPN. I heard it from the mic. I heard it from uh, Dan Patrick. I heard from uh, uh, Late Night Brick. Uh, let's see, who else did I hear from? Uh, I'm trying to remember offhand. So, uh, what what did they say? As okay, they say it, they're not in the same tier with the Warriors? Uh, no, they didn't. Nobody said that now. Basically, what they said was they moved up to where they can compete. You know, it's three teams in the league and all of them all in, all in the West. And Houston was, was you know, we were listening to that day, or how they were looking at it, waiting on moves and all to be done. And according to, as you say, Darrell Moreland, you know, he still got two players and all to, to to pick up. From what I understand, from you know, for what's been mentioned, another starter and another bench guy. So it'll be interesting what this team looks like going into camp. Now, summer is the summer, but before this transaction, this this uh, 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 the summer free agent signing period happens. He's gonna get two, he he's definitely gonna get two more players. That's for sure before the season starts. Doc, are you listening uh, to this? Are you listening to the transformation of the Wildcat into a rocket bandwagon leader? Uh, I ain't no bandwagon leader. I'm not, not a bandwagon leader. I just know they, <laughs> they spend a ticket. You don't have to be a bandwagon leader to, if you're listening, you're just listening. They got to show up and get things done on the floor. And that's going to be during the season. But right now, the man sitting out done getting, you know, getting what they get. And I'm going to stay with what I said. And I, anytime somebody's asked me, one year. It's a one year, one and done. Started all in the hat this particular season, and we're going to see where it lands. Well, I admire you for, 
still listen to Fox, Fox Sports. Kudos to you because you're one of the few. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everybody keeps saying that, and, you know, they still on the line. Well, now that's what the numbers are saying also. Yeah, you know, and their decision making and and making changes and oh yeah, they're having problems over there. So you know, kudos to you for being a, a diehard support. I forgot some of the dudes you 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 named for them were still in sport media because they kind of like fell off a cliff going over there. So, but you know, yeah, they're collecting a check. Oh, hey, hey, and no question about that. Good for them because I'm all for collecting a check. Yeah. Uh. And that's just the way I look at it. And who are you, sir? Um, I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me online, uh, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, at J.L. Woodley 1 and Jerry L. Woodley Jr. You can find me on uh, SoundCloud, uh, YouTube, and Blogger Blogspot at AK, <coughs> excuse me, AKSV. BCSR, the College Sports Report. And where will you be the next few days, sir? Um, I got a week before I take off on the uh, on the road, and I'll be gone for a week. I leave Sunday, heading to uh, Newport, Rhode Island, uh, for and I'll do let's see, one, two, two days there. For what? What's in Newport, Rhode Island? What's, what's up there? It'll be. Hold on now. Hold on. Hold on. Because I got, I got everything's all stacked up on each other. Because they all met this particular year, this summer, the uh, the three conferences that I support, uh, well, actually the four, all wanted to do it all in one week. So that's uh, that's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'll be well. It's Sunday and Monday. I'll be at uh, uh, Newport, Rhode Island, for the American. Tuesday and Dallas at the uh, for Big Twelve Wednesday and Thursday, Wednesday at in Frisco well, in Frisco for the uh, Conference USA and then I'll be back here on Thursday all day for the Southland. Uh, I have to give uh, some credit now to my local support group uh, HBU. They are. Uh, in the process of trying to take ownership of the conference. And if things work out, you know, like I, if, if the person does what he did over at Rice, mm-hmm. I'll have to say it, it's going to happen. They've already hosted uh, softball, baseball. Uh, they've got uh, hands-on on the, on the basketball side. And if, you know, they've, they've got a backup plan for, it, for that, if that changes, and if they do, you know, it'll uh, it'll stay in Houston for a while, just because they don't have options. And that's why you are the college sports report, sir. Thank you very much, yeah. Doc. Where will you be besides once you get back from London? You know, crossing the pond. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll head back to Birmingham to cover the SWAC Media Day, which kicks off the HBCU uh, Media Day circuit. And in a lot of ways, it's one of the first ones to kick off as they follow. Uh, that Friday, as you know, SEC kicks off this Monday through Thursday. So they, in a lot of ways, try to piggyback on what they, what the SEC does in Birmingham. It's worked out in the past, but it's going to be interesting to see if that's something that continues to move forward as I've seen some, 
some seems to be some changes coming in the strike as people are starting to become much more interested in, in the way that uh, the strike is moving forward. How can folks find you on the internet? They can find me at the social media platforms of Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find me on SoundCloud with the podcast of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab, which is broadcast every uh, Tuesday from 6 to 7. You can catch it live if you can't catch it live on KQHTV.com at KKBQ 92.9 FM HD2. You can catch it again as a podcast on SoundCloud at Dr. Williams Inside the HBC Sports Lab. And I am KT of the Houston Round Ball Review. This week I launched my HRR interviews, more of a basketball slant. First guest was the first guest I had when I was at Casey Wade years ago, Willis Wilson. Then I followed that up with an interview with Coach Ronald Huey of the University of Houston Women's Basketball, and then uh, Tina Langley, Rice Siles Women's Head Coach. Those three interviews are posted on SoundCloud, as well as my website, HoustonRoundBarView.com. Got another head coach, uh, Coach Finney, is set in stone for uh, Wednesday, and I have another coach I don't want to throw it out there yet. We're trying to find a lot of details for that coach as well. So I may have two more coaches next week. So go to HoustonRoundBarView.com for those interviews. Our podcasts are available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pod Directory, and other podcasting outlets. We have our KG Fifth Wildcat and Doc Facebook page. I'm on Twitter at the HR Review, Instagram, Houston Roundball Review, YouTube, Houston Roundball. So we're all over the social media platforms. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Doc, safe travels overseas as you hop the pond, sir. And uh, I look forward to your reports you. from, from Birmingham for the SWAC. Wildcat, you enjoy your, your rest before you go at it and hot and heavy for that week of football. But uh, whenever, when, when you get back, we're going to need to uh, squeeze in some baseball talk, talk Astros and how they're running roughshod over the major, major leagues, kicking butt, taking names. So we'll, so we'll do that uh, when y'all come back. But uh, we are broadening our flexibility and capabilities in our podcast. So we may surprise listeners uh, with, a few, with something within the next few days. So pay attention to that. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap it up, as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.